Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. I am working. I'm just going good. The uh, this morning I'm talking about uh, the Gospel of John, and uh, John was written because he wanted to convince you to believe in Jesus, to continue to believe in Jesus. And so, uh, I want the first verses I want to look at are John chapter twenty, <clears throat> starting verse thirty. Uh, there we go. There it is. So John chapter 20, starting at verse 30. The disciples saw Jesus do many miraculous signs in addition to the ones that have been recorded. But these are written, what John had written, was so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. I take us back to this verse because... There's a couple of things in this verse that I want you to take hold of and recognize. A couple of weeks ago, we uh, <clears throat> finished up a series on the work of the Holy Spirit. And we had an uh, altar call, an invitation for people to receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, one of the uh, people that uh, he wasn't actually in the service that morning. He was away, but him and his wife watched the service. And uh, he sent me this uh, statement about the impact of praying and inviting the Spirit to fill him again. I felt felt joy-filled since I listened to the sermon. I have noticed a calmness and gentleness that weren't there in a way that they seem to be now. And despite all the big things going on and around Crosspoint, I feel lighter than I have for a while. He goes on to say, I've also felt a renewed urgency and a capacity to engage with my co-workers and neighbors, respectively. One result of this, you already know, I had suggested to our son that he invite a friend, a neighbor. And this is a big deal because we've tried to invite this family to cross point before, and they never took up the offer. So this may seem like a small thing, but it was such a big miracle because that young man came with him. I've also felt some clarity regarding some of the weights that are on us as well, though I'm still working through them. One of the things that I want to encourage you is to be reflecting on how is it that the Spirit of God is at work in you? How do you notice that? Is it something that is real that you're experiencing? This morning as we were being led in singing, the singing also incorporated an opportunity to actually start praying, didn't it? It was starting to engage with who Jesus was and is. And that's the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is present in us to make us, bring us to a place of connection with him. And that connection is one that is spoken about in this verse. The disciples saw Jesus do all these things, but these have been written so you may continue to believe in Jesus. This is not a passive, intellectual 
believing. I believe that he existed. And it has no impact. This believing is an active engagement with who Jesus is. I continue to believe in him. I continue to believe that his life matters to my life. He goes on to say, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power in his name. Now, sometimes we may take these words literally and we only give them the, the meaning that the print word has. I believe in his name. I believe that his name is Jesus. I believe that he lived. But no, this believing in his name is really about believing in that, what that name represents, who that name represents. It has to do with believing everything that he said. It has to do with embracing the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes the dynamics of our lives in every way. This morning in uh, our time of prayer before the service, John chapter 14, verse 13 was uh, read. It's a powerful verse. And it goes something like this. If you ask for anything in my name, I'll give it to you. Boy. You know, sometimes we have people praying, Lord, I want a million dollars in your name, I pray. What are the chances? Because it doesn't really capture what it means to pray in his name. Praying in his name is sort of saying, this is who Jesus is. This is what his mission is. This is what his purpose is. And when we pray in his name, we're embracing that. We're embracing his purposes and intentions. And so when you read through the book of John, I encourage you to be reading it with this in mind. How do the miracles, the signs that are there, the seven signs of the kingdom, how do they reveal to me the kingdom of God that I am to be a part of? See, last Sunday, Brennan talked about the wedding at Cana in Galilee. And it talked about how Jesus came and met the needs of a groom's family and how he was present amongst them to change the dynamic of that celebration. How about for you? Have you invited Jesus to come to your party, to your gathering of friends and say, Lord, change the dynamic. Make it more than just a birthday party. Make it something where you are present and your presence impacts everybody. Whether it be in joy or just awaking people to the reality of it. We have friends of ours, they were missionaries in uh, India and Pakistan. <clears throat> uh, because of health reasons, they could not go back to the mission field. And so they decided to move back to here to Edmonton and they chose to the neighborhood in southeast Edmonton. And they looked around for a house. You know what they were praying? Lord, put us in the middle of the most diversity you can put us in. And so I can remember him talking about the fact, he says, yeah, I live in a great neighborhood. My neighbor behind me is um, from Pakistan, so Muslim. The one in front of me is across the street from me. He's from um, Sikh background, so what was the Punjab, there it is. And then there was some Hindus over here and Buddhists over here. And I said to him, I says, how do you connect with that diversity? 
He says, every celebration we have, we invite them all to come. Birthday parties, wedding anniversaries. We just invite them to be part of our lives. And God worked through that. Because you see, he was seeing every celebration in his family as an opportunity for Jesus to come to the party. Are you inviting him to the party? Your family gatherings, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Are you making space for him to change the dynamic around you? That's what it means to believe in Jesus' name. To believe that he can have an impact. And so we're taking a look this morning at John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, this is the passage where he meets with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And there he declares, I am the Messiah. He doesn't say it directly in the text, but it's there. And we'll look at that. I want to just talk a little bit about why I am is a significant term in the Gospel of John. John was focused on two things the kingdom of God, and the person of God. And the I am's of John, which is the other part of the conversation that we're having this summer, are all around revealing to you the heart of the Father, who God is, and how he wants to minister to us. So in Exodus chapter 3, we're going to go back to the Old Testament for a moment to capture the significance of I am. Is that big enough for you to read? There was so much text, I had to squish it. But anyway, this is where Moses, who has fled Egypt, he lands in this area. He's shepherding a flock of sheep around, and he comes walking along, and he sees this bush. And it's not unusual to see a bush, and it's not unusual in that hot desert area where he was at that time to see a bush spontaneously burst into flame. That was not the unusual part. The unusual part was he watched that bush and it didn't burn. There was flames all around it, but the bush was still there. So he walked over to take a look at it. And as he got closer, a voice said, Hold on, you're starting to tread on holy ground. Take off your shoes. And there he was in the presence of God. And there he got his call to be the savior or the deliverer or the liberator of the Jewish people who were in cap or captured in Egypt, slaves in Egypt. In the conversation, it comes to a point where God has asked him, he's sort of hedged the bet, he's sort of working his way around it, and finally he says, you just need to go. So in this passage here, let me just bring it up so I don't have to turn around. There we go. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied, I am who I am. This is, this, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Have you ever wondered why it was so simple, I am? Do you know what? I am means in the Hebrew, it means I am. It's as simple as that. God was saying, I am present. You see, when I say, 
I am in the room, it's something about this moment, isn't it? I am a good person, it's about here, right? And when God says, I am, it's about him being present, him being right there. It goes on to talk about the fact that his name was Yahweh. The next verse is down. But the I am is just a statement of presence. And so when it talks about the fact that I am Messiah, he's talking about the fact that I am Messiah. It's the reality. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. These are all conversations that we're going to have about who God is and who Jesus is in our lives because it's the reality of who he is. And so we are looking at John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself was, baptized, was not baptizing him, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. It's the pressure of the moment that sometimes guides us in our lives. You see, here, Jesus had been with John. There had been a baptism. Jesus' ministry had started. He had started pulling disciples to himself. And as he was speaking to the people, ministering to them, they were starting to want to be followers. Then how do you identify as a follower? Well, you listen to the message that Jesus proclaimed, and you said, I want to own that. And baptism is about owning the lordship of Jesus Christ. We still practice baptism today. It's that sense of taking my life and saying, Jesus, here's my life. I give it to you. And baptism is that symbol of dying to ourselves and becoming alive unto the cause of Jesus. And so they were baptizing. And because of that, the Pharisees started to take notice of who Jesus was. And rather than staying in an environment where he was going to be challenged, he needed to be established in his ministry, he made the decision to move from the south back up, the south being down around Jerusalem, back up to Galilee. And so in verse 4 of John 4, it says, he had to go through Samaria on the way. And eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well, about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. The woman was surprised. For Jesus refused to have, or she was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? There's a couple of things I want you to point out to you here at this point. First of all, about the issue of Samaria. If you can have the next slide up, please. Here's this lovely little map. I know you can't see very much detail on it, but the big things you need to see is the pink part is Judea. That was down Jerusalem. The yellow part at the top is Galilee. And in between is that purple strip called Samaria. Now, if you're going from Judea up to Galilee, the shortest distance is through Samaria. But you need to understand this. There was a real divide between the Jewish nation and the Samaritans. And so what would actually happen is the Jews who were moving up to Galilee, what they would do is they would 
walk up close to the border with Samaria. They'd cross over. You see the green part there? That's another aspect of Israel. They would walk up that side, and then they would cross back over into the other. In other words, they totally avoided all contact with the Samaritans. Now, why would that be? Well, way back in their history, you've got to understand, like a lot of nations today, they have long history of how they've been offended in the past. So, long time ago, Israel, the northern kingdom of, it, of Israel, they were taken over by Assyria. And the Assyrians, to undermine any rebellion against them, they would take all the leadership of a nation and they would move them into another part of the world, their world. And then they would bring other people in to settle in that area. So there were some poor Jewish people living in that area of Israel. And then these new people were brought in and there was a mingling of those people and the outcome of that was Samaritans. Now, because the Jewish people were established in the nation, when they became Samaritans, they still continued to worship Jehovah, Yahweh. They had a very different series uh, way of believing. They still believed in the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. And they actually built a temple on the same uh, pattern as the temple in Jerusalem. And they had a center of worship up there. And of course, the Jewish people were offended that there would be another temple being built farther north. And so there was a real separation. Fast forward to Nehemiah's day. Nehemiah comes to build the walls in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans in the neighborhood said, we want to help you. And Nehemiah said, no way, you can't help us at all. And it was at that time, Sambala was the guy's name that was leading the Samaritans at that time. Because Israel pushed them away and said, we don't need your help. Sambala is actually the guy that built the temple on top of Mount Gennesaret. I probably said that wrong, but you'll figure it out. So he built this temple up there. That, there is still a sect of Samaritans in Israel today. And they still go to the top of that mountain where the ruins of that old temple are to offer sacrifices to Jehovah. So that's a ongoing battleground. But at any rate, this is the environment that Jesus was in. So when Jesus comes and he chooses to go through Samaria and land at Sychar, here's the question. How did he get there? Here's the other little side note you need to be aware of. John chapter 5, you can follow this up. In John chapter 5, Jesus makes an interesting declaration. He says, you need to know that I only do what the fa I see the Father doing. I and my Father are always at work. I only do what I see him doing. I only say what I hear him saying. So if Jesus was following tradition, he would have started walking north, got to the border, slid over to the green section, gone up the eastern side of the Jordan, and then crossed back into Galilee. But instead, as he's walking north, I believe the Spirit of God said to him, you need to go through here. You see, Jesus was a human being like you and I, and he was fully dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit to guide him in every step of his life. That's why he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. 
And so as he was moving, he saw very clearly that the father said, this is the way to walk, not over here. And so he goes. And he gets there, and he sits down at the well. His disciples go off to find food. And while he's sitting there, this gal comes along. And he asks her for a drink of water. And in that moment, <clears throat> starts a conversation that leads to her becoming a follower of Jesus. But it starts with him asking for help. <clears throat> you know what? As a people, Christians in general have been so confident that they carry the truth that sometimes they don't even let the world know that they have needs. We sometimes just start off by laying the truth on them. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus acknowledged who he was. He acknowledged his need. He asked her for a drink. In the simple act of asking for a drink, he pulled down all kinds of walls that opened the door for the gospel to start to work through, through him. The truth of who God is and who God wants to be in her life. So when we take a look at the next passage of scripture, John 4, starting at verse 10, Jesus replied, if you knew the gift that God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. <clears throat> Have you noticed something there? He doesn't directly answer her question, does he? He brings in a tangent. He brings in something that awakens in her a curiosity. We call them, well, they're like Fishing lines. You throw out the fish hook to catch a fish. If nothing bites, you just reel it back in, right? When you are meeting with your neighbors and you're interacting with them, <clears throat> I think it's fair to say that it's a good idea to sort of throw out the line. Throw out a lost leader. Something that makes them question who you are, what you believe. It could be as simple as they're talking about something and, and you could be saying something, yeah, I've had that happen. And when I pray about it, and all of a sudden you've brought into, uh, into the conversation something spiritual. Or it could be something else where someone is needing help and you say, yeah, you know, in our community of faith, we gather together to support each other. And all of a sudden you're opening up something about who you are as followers of Jesus. And if there's a spiritual hunger in that person, if there's an awareness that they need something more, or if they're hungry and looking for something more, you have given them an opportunity to respond to you. And all of a sudden, a conversation starts to unfold that leads into deeper things. You see, Jesus was being led by the Spirit in this. And the Spirit was guiding him step by step. He led Jesus to sick car. He was tired and he sat down. The woman came. Jesus didn't have to talk to her. It was unusual for a man to engage with a woman in those cultures. And yet here he crosses another line. Why? Because I believe the Spirit of God said, you need to talk to her. And so that conversation starts. Really? 
You can give living water. Yeah, it's water that you know, once you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. Oh, man, I really would like that kind of water. Right? He's leading her down the line. And all of a sudden, <clears throat> she says something, and he goes, well, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, I'm not married. And, and Jesus goes, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now isn't. And all of a sudden, she tunes into this. You are a prophet. So now she asks the question, the other question. So <clears throat> if you're a prophet, tell me, is it right to worship down in Jerusalem or up here on the mountain? And Jesus undercuts it. He goes, no, no, no. You don't understand. When the Messiah comes, it doesn't matter if you worship here or there. Those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. It doesn't matter where you are. You can worship God. I understand that when the Messiah comes, he'll instruct us in everything. And this is where Jesus says, I am the Messiah. He takes ownership of that. So why is the Messiah such a significant thing? I could take you to lots of passages in Scripture. The Old Testament is full of references to salvation coming through the line of David. It's talking about all kinds of things. But one of the clearest presentations is Isaiah, starting at chapter 40. If you want to read those chapters after that, it really talks about who the Messiah is and how he's going to impact. But I'm just going to choose a few verses from chapter 40. Uh, this is going to start about verse uh, 6. <clears throat> so the prophet is talking and communing with, communing with God. And at this point, he heard a voice say, shout. And so he asked the obvious question, as the prophet did, what should I shout? And then this is what the voice said. Shout that the people are like grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in the field. The grass withers. And the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. So it is with the people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountain mountaintop. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Jer Jer Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with, power with a powerful arm. See, he's bringing his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. This is one of the more clear statements about the Messiah. I am Messiah. This is what Israel was expecting. This is what the Samaritans were expecting. They had the word of God. They were looking for the Messiah. And Jesus came and declared it. And he declared it as your God is coming. Your God is present. As you share your life, allow the Spirit of God to lead you. If you're wondering about how do I maintain this sense of God's presence it really is, starts with something as simple as reading the Gospel of John with this in mind. 
God is present with me. He wants intimacy with me. He wants to know me and me to know him. Because you see, when we know him, as in know him in an experiential, relational way, you grow to trust him. You grow to trust the words he speaks to you. Brenda and I have been married 40-some years. If I try to get it exact, I might get it wrong. I know it's more than 40 years. And I got to tell you, at the beginning of our relationship, I would say things, she would say things, and there was a second guessing of what was meant by what we were saying. Why? Because we'd only known each other for a couple years. We hadn't seen each other in every kind of situation. But as the years go by and as we get to know each other and trust each other, we start to hear the person's heart, their desires, their longings. And so as they, we say things to each other, people on the outside might go, how did they get that? But we know each other well enough to act in accordance with what we believe the other person's heart is. That's the way it is with God. You start small, obeying him, stepping into what you hear him saying, what you know he wants you to do. That's why reading the scripture is so important. There's some clear guidelines on how we are to behave, how we are to live our lives. But going beyond the written word is the presence of the spirit within us to guide us, just as the spirit guided Jesus. The spirit guided Jesus to Samaria to a specific village, to a specific well, where he talked to a specific woman. And in that moment, was led to speak life to her, and she embraced it. If you read the rest of the chapter, it's quite dynamic. Because she dropped, left everything, she went back to town, and she told everybody, you got to come and hear this guy. He told me everything about me. you got to come. He is amazing. And so they came in droves and they asked him to stay amongst them. And so he stayed in that town for a couple of days and he taught there. And in the end of it, this is the statement. You told us about him and we believed. But now that we heard him, we believe for ourselves. Here's the other part of this that uh, I just want you to be aware of. Although this woman maybe had trouble with relationships, she was a significant person in that village. Because she went and talked to them and told them what she had heard, and they believed her and they followed her. She was a person that had maybe personal relationships were not as strong a suit, but she was engaged with her community. She knew the community. She knew their heart. And she could speak to them, and they would be drawn to the things that she valued. You need to realize that God, when he leads you, he's going to lead you to people who have influence. That as you share the gospel with them, they will be people who touch other people's lives. One example from our own lives, we were in Fort McMurray, Brenda had a colleague who was a, didn't know anything about Jesus. She came and said, would your husband baptize our, our baby? Well, no, we don't baptize, but we do dedicate. We had a little conversation around that. 
And then we said, well, you know, to help us help you understand, would you mind meeting with us and we can talk about it? We had a nice conversation with them, and in it they realized that they didn't know enough about God to actually speak about God to their child. So they asked, how can we know God? What an open question, right? doesn't happen very often, but when it happens, you've got to click your heels and smile. And so we shared with them a number of opportunities, and they chose Alpha. So we did a one-on-one Alpha with them. Well, not one-on-one, because we said, you know what? <clears throat> if you uh, want to do that, it's more fun if you invite some of your friends. Do you have any friends that would be interested in learning about God? And so they gave us some names, and we said, well, why don't you invite them? One couple came. Within six months, all four of them were followers of Jesus. You know what? It hasn't stopped. Her sister became a follower. Her husband's brother became a follower. His wife became a follower. Parents started going back to church. Colleagues started to become followers. Fifteen years later, that one little encounter rippled out into multiple communities. That's what happens when you're being led by the Holy Spirit. It is not boring. It is dynamic. It's exciting because every opportunity becomes a window into God's heart and longing. And it gives you a picture on how he will work. He is the Messiah. He is the one that is sent to take care of his sheep. Isaiah 40. You need to know that if he is present and resident in you, he can lead you into dynamic things. And you can see lives changed around you. In your family. In your neighborhood. And it can ripple to other places. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that John, under your Spirit's guidance, wrote a book about continuing to believe in you so that we might believe and experience the power of living according to your name. Lord, draw us in, we pray, so that we might truly embrace all that you have for us and truly worship you with the way we act in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.